Chapter Three of Margaret Fuller, Marquesa Osoli, by Julia Ward Howe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Religious Beliefs, Margaret's Early Critics, First Acquaintance with Mr. Emerson. It was to be expected that in such a correspondence as that between Margaret and James Freeman Clark, the court of religious belief would not remain untouched from margaret's own words in letters and in her journal we clearly gather that her mind in this respect passed through a long and wide experience fortunate for her was in that day the unitarian pulpit with its larger charity and freer exegesis with this fold for her spiritual home she could go in and out finding pasture while by the so-called orthodox sects she would have been looked upon as standing without the bounds of all religious fellowship the requirements of her nature were twofold a religious foundation for thought was to her a necessity equally necessary was to her the untrammelled exercise of critical judgment and the thinking her own thoughts instead of accepting those of other people we may feel sure that margaret even to save her own soul would not and could not have followed any confession of faith in opposition to her own best judgment she would have preferred the hell of the free soul to the heaven of the slave to combine this intellectual interpretation of religious duty with the simple devotion which the heart craves is not easy for any one we may be very glad to find that for her it was not impossible her attitude between these two points of opposition is indeed edifying for while she follows thought with the daring of a sceptic and fearlessly reasons concerning the highest mysteries she yet acknowledges the insufficiency of human knowledge for themes so wonderful and here as nowhere else bows her imperial head and confesses herself human one thing we may learn from what margaret has written on this subject if we do not already know it and this is that in any true religious experience there must be progress and change of attitude this progress may be first initiated by the preponderance of thought or by that of affection but as it goes on the partiality of first views will be corrected by considerations which are developed by later study religious sincerity is in the end justified in all its stages but these stages separately considered will appear more or less incomplete and sometimes even irreligious when first interrogated by her correspondent she says i have determined not to form settled opinions at present loving or feeble natures need a positive religion a visible refuge a protection as much in the passionate season of youth as in those stages nearer to the grave but mine is not such my pride is superior to any feelings i have yet experienced my affection is strong admiration not the necessity of giving or receiving assistance or sympathy so much for the subjective side of the matter with margaret at this time the objective is formulated by her in this brief creed i believe in eternal progression i believe in a god a beauty and perfection to which i am to strive all my life for assimilation from these two articles of belief i draw the rules by which i strive to regulate my life 
tangible promises well-defined hopes are things of which i do not now feel the need at present my soul is intent on this life and i think of religion as its rule those last words are not in contrast with the general tone of religious teaching to-day but when margaret wrote them to james freeman clark an exaggerated adjournment of human happiness to the glories of another world was quite commonly considered as essential to a truly christian standpoint even at this self-sufficing period of her life margaret's journals were full of prayer and aspiration here are some of the utterances of this soul which she herself calls a proud one blessed father nip every foolish wish in blossom lead me any way to truth and goodness but if might be i would not pass from idol to idol let no mean sculpture deform a mind disorderly perhaps ill-furnished but spacious and life-warm after hearing a sermon on the nature of duties social and personal she says my heart swelled with prayer i began to feel hope that time and toil might strengthen me to despise the vulgar parts of felicity and live as becomes an immortal creature oh lead me my father root out false pride and selfishness from my heart inspire me with virtuous energy and enable me to improve every talent for the eternal good of myself and others seasons of bitter discouragement alternated at this time with the moments in which she felt not only her own power but also the excellence of her aims in life of one of these dark hours margaret's journal gives a vivid description from which some passages may be quoted the occasion was a new england thanksgiving a day on which her attendance at church was almost compulsory this church was not to her a spiritual home and on the day now spoken of the song of thanksgiving made positive discord in her ears she felt herself in no condition to give thanks her feet were entangled in the problem of life her soul was agonized by its unreconciled contradictions i was wearied out with mental conflicts i felt within myself great power and generosity and tenderness but it seemed to me as if they were all unrecognized and as if it was impossible that they should be used in life i was only one and twenty the past was worthless the future hopeless yet i could not remember ever voluntarily to have done a wrong thing and my aspirations seemed very high looking about in the church she envied the little children for their sense of dependence and protection she knew not she says that none could have any father but god knew not that she was not the only lonely one the selected oedipus the special victim of an iron law from this intense and exaggerated self-consciousness the only escape was in fleeing from self she sought to do this as she had often done by a long quick walk whose fatigue should worry out her anguish and enable her to return home in a state of prayer on this day this resource did not avail her all seemed to have reached its height it seemed as if i could never return to a world in which i had no place to the mockery of humanities i could not act a part nor seem to live any longer 
the aspect of the outer world was in correspondence with these depressing thoughts it was a sad and sallow day of the late autumn slow processions of clouds were passing over a cold blue sky the hues of earth were dull and grey and brown with sickly struggles of late green here and there sometimes a moaning gust of wind drove late reluctant leaves across the path there was no life else driven from place to place by the conflict within her she sat down at last to rest where the trees were thick about a little pool dark and silent all was dark and cold and still suddenly the sun broke through the clouds with that transparent sweetness like the last smile of a dying lover which it will use when it has been unkind all a cold autumn day and with this unlooked-for brightness passed into her soul a beam from its true sun whose radiance she says never departed more this sudden illumination was not however an unreasoning unaccountable one in that moment flashed upon her the solution of the problem of self whose perplexities had followed her from her childish days she comprehended at once the struggle in which she had been well-nigh overcome and the illusion which had till then made victory impossible i saw how long it must be before the soul can learn to act under these limitations of time and space and human nature but i saw also that it must do it i saw there was no self that selfishness was all folly and the result of circumstance that it was only because i thought self real that i suffered that i had only to live in the idea of the all and all was mine this truth came to me and i received it unhesitatingly so that i was for that hour taken up into god my earthly pain at not being recognized never went deep after this hour i had passed the extreme of passionate sorrow and all check all failure all ignorance have seemed temporary ever since the progress of this work already brings us to that portion of margaret's life in which her character was most likely to be judged of by the world around her as already determined in its features and aspect that this judgment was often a misjudgment is known to all who remember margaret's position in boston society in the days of her lessons and conversations a really vulgar injustice was often done her by those who knew of her only her appearance and supposed pretensions those to whom she never was a living presence may naturally ask of those who professed to have known her whether this injustice did not originate with herself whether she did not do herself injustice by habitually presenting herself in an attitude which was calculated to heighten the idea already conceived of her arrogance and overweening self-esteem independently of other sources of information the statements of one so catholic and charitable as mr emerson meet us here and oblige us to believe that the great services which margaret was able to render to those with whom she came into relation were somewhat impaired by a self-esteem which it would have been unfortunate for her disciples to imitate the satirists of the time saw this and margaret besides encountering the small shot of society ridicule 
received now and then such a broadside as james russell lowell gave her in his fable for critics of this long and somewhat bitter tirade a few lines may suffice as a specimen but here comes miranda zeus where shall i flee to she has such a penchant for bothering me too she always keeps asking if i don't observe a particular likeness twixt her and minerva she will take an old notion and make it her own by saying it o'er in her sibylline tone or persuade you to something tremendously deep by repeating it so as to put you to sleep and she may well defy any mortal to see through it when once she has mixed up her infinite me through it here miranda came up and said phoebus you know that the infinite soul has its infinite woe as i ought to know having lived cheek by jowl since the day i was born with the infinite soul these remarks explanatory and apologetic are suggested partly by mr emerson's statements concerning the beginning of his acquaintance with margaret and partly by the writer's own recollections of the views of outsiders concerning her which contrasted strongly with the feeling and opinion of her intimates mr emerson first heard of margaret from dr hedge and afterwards from miss martineau both were warm in their praise of her and the last named was especially desirous to introduce her to mr emerson whom she very much wished to know after one or more chance meetings it was arranged that margaret should spend a fortnight with mrs emerson the date of this visit was in july eighteen thirty six to the description of her person already quoted from dr hedge we may add a sentence or two from mr emerson's record of his first impressions of her she had a face and a frame that would indicate fullness and tenacity of life she was then as always carefully and becomingly dressed and of ladylike self-possession for the rest her appearance had nothing prepossessing her extreme plainness a trick of incessantly opening and shutting her eyelids the nasal tone of her voice all repelled and i said to myself we shall never get far but margaret greatly esteemed mr emerson and was intent upon establishing a friendly relation with him her reputation for satire was well known to him and was rather justified in his eyes by the first half-hour of her conversation with him i believe i fancied her too much interested in personal history and her talk was a comedy in which dramatic justice was done to everybody's foibles i remember that she made me laugh more than i liked passing into a happier vein she unfolded her brilliant powers of repartee expressed her own opinions and sought to discover those of her companion soon her wit had effaced the impression of her personal unattractiveness and the eyes which were so plain at first swam with fun and drolleries and the very tides of joy and superabundant life he now saw that her satire was only the pastime and necessity of her talent and as he learned to know her better her plane of character rose constantly in his estimation disclosing many moods and powers in successive platforms or terraces each above each mr emerson likens margaret's relations with her friends to the wearing of a necklace of social brilliance of the first water 
a dreaded waif among the merely fashionable her relations with men and women of higher tastes were such that as mr emerson says all the art the thought and the nobleness in new england seemed at that moment related to her and she to it in the houses of such friends she was always a desired guest and in her various visitings she seemed like a queen of some parliament of love who carried the key to all confidences and to whom every question had been referred mr emerson gives some portraits which make evident the variety as well as the extent of margaret's attraction women noted for beauty and for social talent votaries of song students of art and literature men as well as women vied with each other in their devotion to her to each she assumed and sustained a special relation whose duties and offices she never neglected nor confounded to each she became at once a source of inspiration and a court of appeal the beneficence of her influence may be inferred from the lasting gratitude of her friends who always remembered her as having wisely guided and counselled them any human life is liable to be modified by the supposition that its results are of great interest to someone whose concern in them is not a selfish one where this supposition is verified by corresponding acts the power of the individual is greatly multiplied this merciful this providential interest margaret felt for each of her many friends there was no illusion in the sense of her value which they all and severally entertained where we may ask shall we look to-day for a friendliness so wide and so availing we can only answer that such souls are not sent into the world every day few of us can count upon inspiring even in those who are nearest and dearest to us this untiring concern in our highest welfare but such a friend to so many it would be hard to find when we consider margaret's love of literature and her power of making its treasures her own we must think of this passion of hers for availing intercourse with other minds as indeed a providential gift which no doubt lavished in passing speech much that would have been eloquent on paper but evidently had on society the immediate and intensified effect which distinguishes the living word above the dead letter End of chapter three